Who is wise among you? And understanding, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Good morning. That was Bob Koss, my friend. Al Mardellis Green, welcome to Grace. We're in James chapter 3, if you have a Bible. The big part of the first 12 verses of the book of James has to do with pay attention to what you say, becoming self-aware, right? Watch what's coming out of your mouth because what you say will always reveal what's in your heart. Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The big point today, in case I lose you, is godly wisdom is more than making just good decisions. It is a lifestyle. A wise person will speak with wisdom, will show or demonstrate wisdom with a good life. See, the wisdom of God will make your life better and will give you a better life. To know Jesus is to be on a path of wisdom, to make the proclamation, I believe, but also the demonstration of a good life. So let's come right off the bat to a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is more than simply having knowledge. Wisdom is rather given by the Spirit, and it's informed by the Word of God, and it's found in walking with the wise to apply knowledge to the situation. You see, wisdom is something given by God but is attained by those who seek it. So the question we have to live within is, in this text is, is the wisdom I live by the wisdom of this world or is it the wisdom of God? The wisdom of this world has perhaps been passed down from previous generation and we're living according to our own preferences, our own autonomy. False wisdom, the text will tell us, is driven by selfishness and pride and jealousy and envy because there's a way that seems right to us, the wisdom of this world of being wise in our own eyes. Why is that? Because self is all we have, right? We're uppermost in our own affections, and we really haven't listened to the wisdom of God. So if a person's walking in false wisdom, they're full of pride and selfish ambition. The most surprising thing to me is that people walking in false humility or false wisdom are miserable, but they try to convince themselves that they're not miserable. People who have crashed on the rocks will try to convince you they haven't crashed, right? They boast, 
about their lifestyle, but the false wisdom will always create disorder in every evil practice. If I were to ask you, are you wise? Are you wise? Most of you would say, sure, I have wisdom. But the truly wise have asked God for wisdom and have applied that wisdom to their lives, right? And now they can impart that wisdom to others. That's why the scripture says in James chapter 3 and verse 12, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, James was writing to the 12 tribes dispersed. These were mainly people from a Jewish background who would have known the Jewish wisdom literature like in Proverbs chapter 3. Hold your place there in James. Back to Proverbs chapter 3. Look at this beautiful treatment of wisdom in in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Wisdom is found. Blessed is the man who gains understanding. Understanding is gained. She, speaking of wisdom, is more profitable than silver. She yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. And nothing, nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She, wisdom, is a tree of life. To those who embrace her, who lay hold of her, will be blessed. The blessed life is the life given by God of wisdom. Solomon is the writer of this book of Proverbs. And he came to a crossroads in his own life. He was a young king. And he came to present his sacrifices to the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 3. And the Lord said to him, ask of me and I will give to you. Ask of me anything and I will give it to you. Now Solomon could have asked for the death of his enemies. He could have asked as a young man for great wealth and riches. He could have asked for a long life. But what Solomon asked of the Lord was, Lord, give me wisdom. Impart to me understanding, to render justice, to decide what is right and what is fair. The longing of his heart was for wisdom, for God to give him wisdom. And the Lord said, because you haven't asked of me for riches, I will give to you riches. And because you haven't asked of me for a long life, I will give to you a long life. And God would give to Solomon peace during his reign. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Blessed is the person who gains understanding. So in life, we live with so many questions regarding our relationships and our life and our work. I mean, think about this question. Is it wiser for Jordan Spieth at 22 years old? Now, he's won the Masters last year. He's leading the Masters right now. Was it better for him to finish his undergraduate degree at the University of Texas or jump on the PGA Tour? 
You're navigating through your journey now in your 20s, right? You have so many questions as to which career to pursue, how to uh, navigate through relationships. Is it wiser to move in together so as to save money or to wait until marriage? Is it wiser to move ahead with a relationship even though my friends and family disapprove? Is it wiser to go ahead and just buy it even though we don't have the money and just put it on the credit card? Is it wiser to keep money, putting money in that car, in that car that just kind of just nickels and dimes you to death? Is it wiser to just keep putting money in the car or get another one and start making payments? Is it wiser if we should get another car to buy a new car or buy a slightly used car? Is it wiser if we don't have kids to wait, see what God's plans are to foster, to adopt, or to try in vitro? Is it wiser if we rent a place to go ahead and buy a place and enter into a mortgage? Is it wiser to move to another city should an opportunity come along or stay put where I am, giving my kids roots? Is it wiser if we have children to homeschool them? or to put them in public school or Christian school. You see, there's so many questions that we live in that we need God's wisdom from. Paul said to Timothy, you know, from your infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom unto salvation. We live in so many questions. If we choose wisely, we will be blessed. Because blessed is the person who finds wisdom, who gains understanding. Wisdom is more than simply having information, right? Because we all know well-educated people who are very foolish. Or, say it differently, just plain dumb. You just may have lots of degrees, but you're pretty dumb. When it comes to daily living, they're just dumb, right? They just don't have common sense. They have degrees, but not common sense. So why should we, first of all, pay attention to God's wisdom? The first reason I want to give you is that God is wise enough to be the creator of the universe. I think that's a pretty strong reason to listen to God's wisdom. We have a very wise God who was there at the beginning, right, who knows everything. Everything is known to him, right? He is the God who is, who was, and who is yet, and who will be. God will be there at the very end. If we look at the universe, we would say a very wise God made the universe. If we look at anything that's complex, intricate, we would say behind it is a designer. Right? We look at a watch, we say there must be a watchmaker. We look at the airplane, there must be an airplane engineer. If we look at the universe, we say there must be a God behind the universe who designed all the parts to work together. So why did God in his wisdom create the universe and put it all together according to various laws? God made the universe with wisdom in order that creation would bring glory to God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation manifests the glory of God. 
The sun shines to the glory of God. The wind blows to the glory of God. The rain falls to the glory of God. God made a glorious creation. He's an infinitely wise God. But not only did God in his wisdom create, God in his manifest wisdom provided for us salvation. God's wisdom manifests itself in the plan he devised for our salvation through Jesus Christ. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. You see, if salvation were up to us to design, we might say words like, if we were sincere enough, or if we were good enough. But God is all wise, and salvation is designed to give God the maximum amount of glory. Nobody can ever boast about what they did to get saved, because salvation isn't about what I did I can boast about. Salvation is about what God did for me that I boast in Him about. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Christ has become to us the wisdom of God. You see, you get wisdom when you get saved because the wisdom of God lives inside of you. And salvation is the working out of our salvation, allowing God to reorder our lives, moving from being a follower of the wisdom of this world to following the wisdom of God. You see, the more wisdom we get, the more peace we have, and the more joy we experience. So who could say they need some wisdom? I was hoping the answer would be yes. So I've prepared for you all, if you have your notes, eight questions to live in to see whether or not we are living in godly wisdom. As I go through these questions, these characteristics, you can score yourself on how you do. Now, I suggest that you kind of uh, have a 1 to 10 scoring system, okay? So if this, or maybe 0 to 10. So if this one is not present in your life, you want to score yourself appropriately, lowly on it. But if this is a strong characteristic you possess, you can give yourself a high score. Now, just to tip you off, I scored 58 out of 80 on my own test. But it's actually God's test from the book of James on wisdom. So here we go. Now, it's in James chapter 3 and verse 17, if you're following. Let me just read it through you, then we'll walk through each one of these eight characteristics and see about godly wisdom. It says, the wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In that 17th verse, then, James has packed away eight different characteristics of godly wisdom. To say that we are walking in wisdom would say these characteristics are true of our life. So it's not about perfection here. It's about progress. It's about progressing on the path to wisdom. It's about moving from earthly wisdom to heavenly wisdom. It's moving from the wisdom of this world, which is chaotic, 
creates disorder, every evil practice, into godly wisdom that creates order into our lives. The first of the characteristics is purity. The question I'm asking here is, am I pure in my motives and my actions? Jesus, James's half-brother, said to be wise as a serpent, to be harmless as a dove. Before you ever get the wisdom that God gives to us, you first of all must be innocent as a dove. The question I'm asking there is, what is my motivation? Why am I doing this? James is underscoring here the primacy of purity. First of all comes a pure heart. Without purity, there is no wisdom from God. Think of it this way. If God's wisdom is like a pure stream flowing into the pollution of this world, if it's flowing from a pure God, it will flow through us through purity. Purity means to be unmixed, unalloyed, untainted, unpolluted. The wisdom of this world, you could say, is a polluted stream, but the wisdom of God is a pure stream flowing that purifies us. And he who has this hope inside of him purifies himself even as he is pure. So James is saying to us that the path to God's wisdom is a purifying path. Living where I live, sports are pretty big. When I first came to live here in this area, there were no sports practices on Wednesday or on Sunday. And shortly after we arrived 30 years ago, one of the local athletic associations vowed to change their policy. Their policy was that we wouldn't have practices on Wednesday, we wouldn't have games on Sunday, because the church has youth group on Wednesday, the church has children's ministries on Wednesday, the church has prayer and other things, small groups happening on Wednesday. Of course, Sunday is reserved for... Sunday is... <laughs> so what happened is, I showed up at this meeting, and I said, this policy can't change, because sports is about character formation. We're about helping families be strong and stay together. And what's happened in 30 years? Hardly a coach would ever excuse a player on a Wednesday because they're coming to youth group. How many tournaments happen on the weekend? How many travel teams exist now that take kids away and their families from the weekend. I mean, moms and dads have a five-year-old. He's playing t-ball. He hits what looks like a single, but he gets a home run, actually because of three overthrows. <laughs> he comes home. There's a grand celebration. We celebrate the home run of the five-year-old, and we think that perhaps this can be parlayed into a full scholarship to college. Or perhaps he has a place on the Orioles or the Nationals. You know, I, I see him someday hugging third base, you know, on opening day. Now, I know, 
I know you want your child to play in the very best team they can play on and have the very best coach. And some of you guys are awesome coaches are here. I'm looking at some of them. You want them to play at the very highest level. level. But let's take this one down to us, okay? Wisdom of God is, first of all, pure. What is your heart on the matter, God? What is the best, given the situation we're in? What is the best choice for we as a family to make? What impact will this decision have upon my child's life? The wisdom of God is, first of all, pure. God, purify my heart. Are my motives pure? Are my actions pure? How do you rate yourself on that one? Some of you, many of you here are in decision-making processes. You sit before a group of people making decisions together. God, purify my heart. Let me have wisdom that flows from you. Let me think about the well-being of others in this situation. God, how would you get the most glory from this decision? Secondly, James brings up the issue of being peace-loving. Here I'm looking for the issue of common ground. What do I look for first when I'm with people? Agreement or disagreement? You see, purity is first and foremost. If I compromise purity to get peace, I'm not acting in godly wisdom. But if I hold on to my position contentiously, cantankerously, I'm not displaying godly wisdom. Do you follow? You ever been in a conversation with somebody and they checked out to see whether where you stand on a position? You have, haven't you? They're kind of checking you out to see whether you're in agreement with them. And if you're in agreement with them, we can continue this conversation. But should you disagree with me, this conversation now is over. To be peaceable is to say, I want to live at peace with you. I want to resolve this issue, right? I want to find some common ground with you. I'm not really trying to ferret out our differences as much as it is to live together in harmony. Jesus came to make peace. God wants us to live at peace with one another. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers know there is a wide gulf, but they are believing that the best about the other person to try to find some common ground, right? To get to peace, we may have to go through conflict, but as we press into the conflict and we're truly honest with each other, we begin to understand where each other's coming from, right? So I begin to listen better to the other person's point of view, and I find we have more and more things in common that we can build common ground from. This is especially important in the so-called culture war. 
Many people have taken their stand. They have set their mind on their side of the aisle, and they see the issue as you're either for it or against it. In America, we take our stand, right? We take our stand, either we're for gay marriage or we're against it. We take our stand, either we're for sending the illegal immigrants back or finding a pathway for them to stay. We have a pitting against one another, right? We take a position, we hold firmly to our belief, That's sort of one way to handle it. Or we have nothing to do with the issue. We say, I don't talk about politics or religion. They're both controversial. But God has placed us in relationship to others, right? To pursue peace with them. See, I'm not trying to drive a wedge between us. I'm not trying to see how far apart we are are with one another. My longing is to see you have peace with God, for us to live in peace with one another. I would love to resolve this conflict. I would love to shake hands with you and say, we agree to disagree, but we have found our common ground. Now here's ours rule of thumb. When I put more heat than light onto the conversation, I need to shut my mouth. When I start to become argumentative, right, that we're just having an argument, argument where the feathers are beginning to fly, I need to close my mouth because I'm not pursuing at that moment godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is first of all pure, but it's also peaceable. It brings people together, if at all possible. That's why Romans says, as much as it depends upon you, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the peace, the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace, Ephesians 4.3. So let me ask you this question. Where do you live in a war zone? Is there a war going on where you work? Is there a war going on in your school? Is there a war going on in your neighborhood? God's wisdom he gives to us is peaceable. It's the peace of Christ living inside of me that I want to carry now into this situation and bring his peace. Can we find our common ground? Give yourself a score on that one. How much, at, how much do you work at making peace, at resolving conflict, at dealing with the issues. Third, James would say, gentleness. Am I gentle? Am I respectful? Am I considerate? Am I respectful to people I disagree with? Now, here's the great test to being gentle. How gentle are you when you're under fire? when they're shooting bullets at you, right? <sighs> because if my words aren't gentle, if they aren't gracious, I will never influence 
anybody, anywhere. We have a grandson. His name is William. And what we're always saying to William is, be gentle, be gentle. He likes to grab the dog by the nose. William, be gentle, be gentle. Gentleness, you see, is a fruit of the Spirit. So the question you want to ask yourself here is, am I harsh? Hmm. Gentleness is a person who knows how to forgive when strict justice gives them the perfect right to condemn, how to make allowances for people. Gentleness indicates a willingness to yield to others. How yielding am I? A great example of gentleness in the Bible is Daniel. Daniel was a man of integrity, a man of humility. Daniel kept getting promoted in Babylon. He served under several pagan kings, but he did not compromise his values. He lived as a humble servant of God, and God showed him favor and gave him influence because of his gentleness. Some of you here are harsh, but it's the gentleness of God that begins to soften your heart. And your harshness may be a blind spot to you. You don't know how harsh your words are. If you only could hear yourself when you speak, you would hear the harshness in your words. All this stress gets bottled up inside of you, and it's kind of like comes out, right? See, one of the marks of wisdom is gentleness, a gentle soul, a gentle spirit. A person who's following the path of wisdom is working at being gentle and respectful and considerate. How do you rate yourself on that one, of being a gentle soul? The next one, number four, is am I teachable? The word there is submissive. The word means easily persuaded, though not gullible. Another translation of submissive would be teachability. The question I ask myself here is, am I humble? Can I take a humble role? Teachability has to do with humility. The humble person, when you correct them, they will thank you. They want to be a better version of themselves. They want to improve. They want to stop doing the things that they're doing that are making their life miserable. So ask yourself the question, am I truly teachable? Do I allow myself to be taught by anybody? Does someone have the privilege of teaching me? Or would you say rather that you like to pontificate? Anybody here like to pontificate? Like, this is my moment to pontificate, and I want everybody to listen to me. Well, see, wisdom would say, do I always have to be right? Do I always have to win? You see, if I never am wrong, I never grow. But when someone shows me I'm wrong, right, someone has the courage to show me this is where you err, I get better. Proverbs says it like this, Proverbs 18.2. A fool finds pleasure. 
A, a, a wise person finds pleasure in understanding, but a fool delights in airing their own opinions. Proverbs 18.2. You see, what happens here is that when a person is teachable, they major in the majors. They don't major in the minors. Godly wisdom discerns what really matters. So the question in teachability is, what am I learning? If I said to you in this last week, what was God teaching you? What has God been showing you in this last week? person I know that she was hurrying from place to place. The Spirit seemed to be saying to her, you need to slow down. If you don't slow down, you're going to have a wreck. Her day was so full, she had crammed it so full of activity that it had to be one of those days you had all the green lights in order to make it, right, to pull it off. And she was running late, and she ran into the bumper of somebody. And the Spirit whispered to her, if you don't slow down, you're going to have a wreck. The question here is, am I teachable? Am I listening to the Spirit? Am I growing? Do I have a teachable spirit? The fifth is, am I full of mercy? Oh, by the way, score yourself on that one. Am I teachable? Do I stay open and teachable to what God is showing me? Number five, full of mercy. The question here is, am I full of mercy? Many people are merciful to them who deserve it. But the point of mercy is to give it to people who don't deserve it. Jesus said it like this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Being merciful means not only having compassion for the people who seem to deserve it, but having mercy for the person who does not deserve it. God shows us mercy when our problem was caused by us, and we are to extend God's mercy to the undeserving. The question I want to ask you here is, how much mercy do you have? <laughs> Ever had somebody say to you, don't come to me looking for mercy? You've heard that, haven't you? Jesus told a story. He was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And there was this man who was wounded, who was pretty beat up, laying beside the road. And two men avoided him. Darkened, shadowy figure there lying beside the road. But along came a Samaritan, and he saw the condition of the man, and he went towards him. He inconvenienced himself. He got off of his donkey, dismounted. He took out oil and wine and poured it into his wounds, an ancient antiseptic, antibiotic, bandaged the man up, carried him to the city, took him to the inn, took care of him, made sure the innkeeper took care of him, showed him mercy. Henry Nouwen, who wrote a lot about this subject, he said, there came in my life a time 
when I stopped seeing people as the enemy and I began to see people as all having wounds. They've all been wounded in the journey of life. And I began to show mercy instead of viewing people as the enemy. The Spirit's been speaking to me about this, about my driving, about not feeling when I'm driving, I'm in a race trying to jockey for position, you know, not singling my changes on the highway, giving information to the enemy. <laughs> the Spirit's been speaking to me about my driving, not cursing people made in the image of God, not calling people idiots when they underdog me or go across four lanes or, you know, endanger lives out there on the highway. Okay, they drive like a moron, but they're not a moron. You see, if God has shown me mercy when I did not deserve it, shouldn't I show mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it? Think about the mercy that happens in the ER. Here comes a person who we've never met before, right? Just got to know their name. They've been carried in. They've been flown in. They've been driven in. Yet we're going to take care of their wounds and assess their condition and render medical help. Imagine for a moment that the only help we ever gave to somebody was someone who deserved it. That's why the cry of our soul is, God, have mercy upon me. Jesus, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You see, when a person's full of mercy, the mercy of God is flowing through them. It's part of his wisdom. So rate yourself on that one. Am I full of mercy? And then, number six, good fruit. Is my life producing good fruit, or am I just stirring up conflict? Can you show me the good fruit of your life? Now, James has already been addressing that. He's been saying, okay, here's pure and undefiled religion to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That's good fruit, right? It's good to be able to say that your faith has some works associated with it, right? See, godly wisdom is not theoretical. Godly wisdom is practical. It rolls up its sleeves. It produces fruit. Now, you know what our church is all about here of producing disciples who live in love like Jesus. You see, that's the fruit of our lives, that we're pouring in each other's lives in order to see people produce fruit. We want you to be fruitful. In my backyard is a northern dwarf cherry tree. I've never had to worry about whether this cherry tree is going to produce plums or peaches or pears. Now, not every year is a great year for fruit producing. It varies on the year how much fruit this little cherry tree produces. But every year, this tree of mine in the backyard produces little cherry blossoms and cherry fruit. You see, the person of godly wisdom is always producing fruit with their life. And the best fruit your life can produce is to reproduce other disciples. 
Life goes best when we're making disciples of one another, you know, mountain biking up at Gambrel, having coffee at Starbucks together, meeting together under the direction of the Spirit and the Word of God with intentional leaders in relational environments, producing fruit. See, our lives are producing fruit. How do you do? How are you doing in the area of producing fruit? Give yourself a score. Number seven, impartial. Here's one to think about. Am I being fair? Ooh. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you what is good, O man. What does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? To be fair means to be impartial, not taking sides. The language of James, by the way, is the language of political parties kind of rivaling with one another, being competitive, right? Trying to get the election. All that matters is winning. Here's the question. Do I treat my family, my friends, the powerful, the poor, the same? Am I fair and impartial? The rule that James lays down is, if you keep the royal law, which is about love, there is no partiality. Partiality is always put to the test when you have a policy to keep in your company, and you know the policy, and someone has broken the policy, and they are your friend. And the question is, will they get an exception because they're your friend, or will you exercise fairness? Am I truly fair living my life with justice and equity? And the last one is this one, sincere. And I ask the question, am I sincere or am I a fake? Godly wisdom all circles back to sincere love. Wisdom is always concerned with showing love in the situation. What does love require of me in this situation? Is how I'm acting consistent with love, or is it inconsistent with love? Because wisdom is always displaying love, sincere love. God is all about sincere, non-hypocritical love. You see, people can say they love you, but not demonstrate they love you. People can say they love you, but they don't stand with you. They walk away from you. People can say they love you, but they don't take your call. They ignore your call. People can say they love you, but they make no room for you. Sincerity really is living your life without hypocrisy. So let me ask you this. How'd you do on this little test? I scored 57. Maybe I should have scored myself a little lower, preaching you through it. Maybe I'd be lower next time. But James wants us to look at ourselves as to whether we live our lives with godly wisdom or a worldly kind of wisdom. There is a war going on, 
And I'm not talking about the war that's happening in Syria and Iraq. I'm talking about the war in our minds. Jesus came to show us how to live our lives and to live with wisdom. When Jesus conquered over the enemy on the cross, he said, Tetelestai. That means it's finished. It is accomplished. It's what the gladiators said when they were about to put the sword into their victim, Tetelestai. It is, it is finished. You could say the Christian life then is, and Jesus said his mission was to live according to the Spirit, right? To proclaim the good news to set people free. That you have been held captive for far too long. That we need to come to the altar and surrender our lives to God Offering ourselves as a sacrifice, asking God to give us wisdom, wisdom. We need the wisdom of God to navigate our lives. So we're going to sing the last song of I'm going to come to the altar. I may come for myself. I may come for a person I know. I just may come. I just want to come to the altar and God just lay it down. I've come to lay down my life and ask you, God, to pour out your wisdom into my life because I need the wisdom that comes from heaven. I need to move away from the wisdom of this world and follow your godly wisdom. And when I do, my life is characterized by purity, by being peace-loving, by being considerate, by being submissive, by being full of mercy, by bearing good fruit, by being impartial and being sincere. Pray with me. Father, in the quietness of this morning hour, James has a really strong word to say to us. He wants our lives to be full of blessings and peace and joy. He wants us to bear fruit, to be impartial, to be sincere, to be pure at heart, to render peace to one another. God, would you hear our prayers this morning as we cry out to you? Can we just come honest and broken and raw before you, Lord, asking for your help in our journeys? Help us to navigate through this life. You've said your spirit would guide us, would give us wisdom. So, God, we just humble ourselves in your very presence now and cry out, Lord, pour out wisdom to your people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.